welcome to the UGA BCM podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the UGA BCM right on campus in Athens, Georgia. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Um, Tommy hit the nail on the head. I've, I've been the pastor of uh, Cleveland Road for almost four years. It is such a joy. Let me just say this before I get into the message tonight. I'm thankful for this ministry. I'm thankful for Tommy, and I'm thankful for the churches that are represented here tonight. Um, if you're not a part of a local church, uh, let me just encourage you to be involved in one. Um, this is a wonderful ministry, uh, but God promises to establish his church. And so let me encourage you to not only be a part of campus ministries, but also to be involved in the visible body of Christ, and that is the local gathering, all right? With that said, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 16. You can use your devices, or if you brought your hard copy, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, but we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 tonight. And we're going to be looking at this topic of discipleship. I've titled the message tonight, Discipleship 1001. What does it mean to follow Jesus? I've had the privilege of listening to some of the sermons that you guys have heard this semester from Tommy about the life and ministry of Jesus, how he was the son of David, the son of man, and the son of God. And in Matthew 16, we find ourselves getting a a glimpse into Jesus' final year of ministry. And he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? They respond, some say you are Elijah, some say John the Baptist. And then Jesus turns to his chief disciple and he says, but who do you say that I am? And in Matthew 16, 15, I hope you see this, Peter responds and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the response that Peter gives. Jesus tells him that, that blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And then he says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, immediately after this magnificent encounter, Jesus informs his disciples of his primary goal in coming to earth. That primary goal was to go to a cross and to die for the sins of his people. In fact, just a few verses later, we read in verse 21, look at your Bibles. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day, be raised. Now, follow me. It is this sudden shift in plans that upsets Peter. Uh, As Tommy has taught this semester, the followers of Jesus imagined that the Messiah or the son of David would be the one to deliver them from political and military oppression. And as outstanding as Peter's confession is, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It is still juicy. It is still pregnant with Jewish nationalistic undertones. Uh, meaning that Peter thought Jesus would be the one to lead them into Jerusalem and lead a revolution against Roman tyranny. But in the blink of an eye, Jesus says, I've got to die. Not only that, I've got to suffer. Can you imagine Peter and the disciples looking around saying something like, no, uh, absolutely not. This is not the plan that we had for your life. It's almost like, it's not really, but I, I thought it, it was kind of like Brock Bowers coming to us and saying, hey guys, In order to lead us to our third national championship in a row, I've got to get a high ankle sprain at Vandy and be out four to six weeks and miss the gauntlet of our schedule. We as Bulldog Nation would look at him and say, no, far be it from you, Bowers, to go down for the next six weeks. And in the same way, Peter, in verse 22, takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. Says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Now, Jesus doesn't take too kindly to Peter's rebuke. Perhaps he hears, even in Peter's words, the same words of 
of Satan in the wilderness. Remember what Satan says? He says, if you bow down to me, then I will give you the inheritance of the nations. The prince of the power of the earth, Satan, offers Jesus the glory of the nations if Jesus would just forego suffering and bow down to Satan. Just like the voice of Satan in the wilderness, Peter says to Jesus, you don't have to suffer. You don't have to die. And so what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Maybe as a disciple, someone closely following Jesus, Peter rightly understood the ripple effects of Jesus' suffering. Probably what Peter gets is that if Jesus suffers, he too will suffer. And so he says, far be it from you, Lord, to die, because if you die, and he's going down the tunnel of time, that means we too will suffer. Let me talk about a roller coaster. You have this spiritual high. Who do people say that I am? Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Amen. Good job, Peter. By the way, I got to go to Jerusalem. I got to suffer at the hands of men, and then I have to die. And Jesus looks at Peter, and Peter says, wait a second, you can't do that. And Jesus says, you are a hindrance to me and to the plan of God. Get behind me. Now, what follows this roller coaster of an encounter? It is Discipleship 1001, verses 24 through 26. Read along with me. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever would lose his life for my sake will find it. And what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Friends, essentially Jesus says to my followers, to Peter, Parker, not Spider-Man, <laughs> Peter the Apostle, Parker in 2023, and to you at the BCM in October of 2023, he says to us, not only am I going to suffer and die, but if you want to be counted with me, then you too must take up your cross. Here's a warning that true discipleship might cost us. In fact, it will cost us, and it might cost us everything. So friends, as you've considered the man Jesus this semester, as the son of David and the son of man and the son of God, as you've considered his claims, his works, his teaching, his ministry, I think we get to a place tonight that demands a response to this question. Is Jesus worth following? Notice I didn't ask, have you asked Jesus into your heart? I didn't ask, are you a Christian? Because I think those questions have been watered down in our Christian society. I've asked the question tonight, is Jesus worth following, even if it costs us everything? So what does it take to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, discipleship 1001, it's there in the text. Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Three things. If you're taking notes, write these down. Number one, deny self. Number two, take up your cross. Number three, follow him. Let's look at number one. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Guys, Jesus is keenly aware that left to our own desires, we are people consumed with serving and entertaining and seeking the best interests of ourselves. And Jesus says the first step in Discipleship 1001 is denying one's own self-interests. We hear, hear the, we hear the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. 
right? To Jesus, there is great value in understanding our own spiritual bankruptcy, meaning that left to ourselves, we have nothing to lay on the table of God that would contribute to our salvation. See, Jesus knows the sinful inclination of the human heart. He knows my heart and he knows your heart. Jesus knows that all are unrighteous, that there are none righteous, no, not one. He was there in the garden when the good that he created was cast aside for self-interest by Adam and Eve. He is the sovereign ruler over the universe. He knows what you did last night. He knows what you're going to do tonight. He knows the depths of our sin. Not only that, he knows that the pursuit of self-interests will lead to dissatisfaction and ruin. There is no true lasting joy that will come as a result of our pursuit of self-interests. More than that, he knows that a pursuit of self leaves no room for a pursuit of the highest good, which is him. He says in another place, you cannot serve two masters. And he knows that the ruling master of our life, apart from Jesus, is nothing else than our human heart. A heart which lies to us, a heart which screams, satisfy me. And then when we try to feed it, we're left feeling empty and worthless. See, when Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, what he means is that true discipleship begins when our pursuit of self-satisfaction ends. Let me say that one more time. Jesus knows that our pursuit of discipleship begins when self-satisfaction ends. You can't have it both ways. And if you try to have both, you'll end up pursuing your heart every single time. So Jesus says, Fight to crush the inner desires of your heart, which come from selfishness. Deny the lie that you are the center of your universe. Reject that which says that if you serve self, you will be truly satisfied. Friends, every day we have a choice when we wake up. Deny self or serve self. Deny flesh or give in to flesh. And we're taught a lie by the culture, and it's not the culture's fault, it's our own fault, but we're taught a lie by the culture that says your heart is the chief object of your affection. And whatever your heart wants, you have to give it to. And Jesus is saying, that's not it. Like, <laughs> that's not where true joy comes. Blessed or happy are the poor in spirit because they will get something greater. They don't have to think about themselves. They don't have to relish in their own position and accomplishments because they get the kingdom of God. See, when we deny self, it's only then that we have the ability to pursue him. And when we pursue him, that's where lasting joy begins. So friends, number one tonight, deny yourself. Number two, it's found in the text. Jesus says, whoever would follow me has to take up his cross. Take up your cross. Jesus says, as my disciple, you're going to have to do what I'm about to do. Those who want to follow me, you got to walk like I walk. you got to talk as I talk. You have to imitate me. So one of the things I do in my, my spare time when I'm not a pastor is I like to coach. And I've got a little boy who's eight, and he loves sports. And so this past year, I had Dylan Danello, a young man in our church, help me coach our flag football team. And I loved being able to take Dylan out there who played high school football and, and put him out in front of the boys and say, hey, eight-year-old boys, uh, do what he does. And then I would say, Dylan, 
go ahead and run 40 yards. <laughs> and then he'd run it. I'd say, just keep going. And he'd be like, what? No. But then I would say, give me a, a couple of, of up-downs and do some jumping jacks. And there was Dylan out there doing all these things. And I was able to say, imitate him. Everything he does, you do, right? As Christ followers, how much more if the spotless, sinless, all-compassionate, all-loving, all-knowing, merciful Christ says this, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be put on trial. The people will cry out in my presence, give us Barabbas. And then they will cry out about me, crucify him. And Jesus says, watch me. Do as I do. He says, look at me. 40 lashes minus one. Probably more in Roman context. Look at me. Flesh ripped, body broken, beard plucked, face struck, crown applied, king mocked, cross carried, temporarily, back broken, knees buckled, Simon of Cyrene summoned, carry his cross. Isn't it ironic that our teacher tells us to carry our cross when he himself could not carry his cross. Not because he didn't want to, but because he couldn't, because of all that he suffered for us. Watch me, he says. Hill ascended, nails hammered. Behold the king of the Jews. Here is your son of David. And we cry out with Peter, no, no. Far be it from you, Lord. No, you can't suffer. Is there no other way for redemption to come without crucifixion? And God in his kindness says to us, this is the only way. He looks at the tunnel of time and he says, there is but one way. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. God says to us, I cannot just, just do away. I cannot just, just unsee the sin that you have committed. He has to deal with the sin that we've committed. And the only one who is eligible to deal with the sin that we've committed was the spotless, sacrificial substitute named Jesus. This man who was born of a virgin from the seed of God, he had to be spotless so he could take upon himself the sins of the world. It was the only way. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And so we hear the voice of God at the first Passover. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Friends, God wasn't just in heaven thinking about redemption and saying to himself, I wonder what the most strategic way to rescue sinners might be. This wasn't him saying, could we try a few things? Maybe death by Roman execution on a cross. This was it. Jesus cries out in the Garden of Gethsemane, is there's any other way? Take this cup from me. And God says, and the divine silence confirms that the death of Jesus was necessary for your salvation and mine. Now, I can't imagine as a father what it would have been like to have watched my son endure what Jesus endured on the cross. And I am reminded of those words from how deep the father's love for us that say, it was my sin that held him there. 
until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Now, friends, listen. There are good Baptists who love to herald salvation or justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, who will say all day, thank you for the cross. Without it, we wouldn't have salvation and we would be headed to hell. And I would say, amen, that's true. But Jesus says here, wait, there's more. This cross is more than just a means to your salvation. This cross is now yours to bear with me. Now, most of us have missed the imagery in 2023 of what it means to take up our cross. Even if we get the fact intellectually that this was a spectacle of Roman execution, we have minimized this statement. We've considered every road bump in our life a cross that we are to bear. Right? You've got a sick relative or you fail a, cross, a, fail a class and you utter those words, well, I guess this is my cross. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is referring to experiencing pain and ridicule and resistance and even death on account of his name. But so rarely do we feel this way. We live in the home of the free and the land of the brave, right? I'm, I'm here on the grounds of a public university and I can say with no fear or trepidation of government oppression, Jesus is Lord. Believe in him and repent. It's hard for us to understand what it means to take up our cross daily. We have to remember who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to Peter, who to the best of our knowledge was crucified. But when he was crucified, said, I don't want to be crucified like my Lord. Turn me upside down. He's talking to Thomas. To the best of our knowledge, he was pierced in the side with four different spears on account of preaching the gospel. He's talking to Matthew. Reports tell us that he was stabbed to death in Ethiopia because he was preaching the gospel. Take up your cross was the message that echoed down to the Apostle Paul who was beheaded on, be, on account of his faith. See, in first century Jerusalem and Rome and Philippi and Corinth, they weren't necessarily the most friendly places on earth for Christians. So Jesus is saying, this ain't gonna be easy. Like, like you have to understand that you're gonna have to wake up and look in the mirror every day and ask the question, am I willing to die on account of the name of Jesus. And many did. You and I don't feel that. We can't. We live right here. We're comfortable. But let's be careful that because we can't feel the same way they did, that we don't just write this off and say, well, this must not apply to us. Because even though we don't experience persecution for the sake of Christ in this country, as his disciples did, that doesn't mean that intense persecution doesn't exist in the world today. There are believers on every continent, in fact, more believers than not, who this very hour are fearing for their life. They are fearing for their family and for their church. The vast majority of this planet is not as friendly to the ideas of Christianity as Athens, Georgia. Some of you may experience persecution in your lifetime. Some of you who have felt the desire and call to take this gospel overseas will feel the weight of the cost of discipleship far greater than I ever will. And maybe one day you will be arrested for heralding the gospel message. You'll have to ask the question, am I ready to take up my cross and follow him? Maybe someday in this room, you will have your very life threatened for the sake of the gospel. Are you ready for that? And if that's you, I would just commend you and say, praise God. 
for your willingness to go. Guys, for those of us who experience the comforts of a free nation, may we never take for granted how blessed we are. May we never stop praying that the cause of Christ might continue and press on even in the face of persecution. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. But let's be honest, right now, right here, we are in a comfortable culture that we can't really understand what it means to take up our cross daily. Uh, We live in sort of a Christian tolerant nation, but let us also remember that our country is becoming more secularized and opposed to the things of God. It may not be long before we are actually persecuted for our faith. So Christian, be ready. But also, let me just say this, even though I just made the point that the state of Georgia and Athens, you, you can kind of speak freely, let's be honest, we are on the campus of a university that is largely secular that would love nothing more than to devour your faith, right? You, you could be a, a Christian, but you could have come into college, maybe you're a freshman, and you're in Religion 1001, and your professor is starting to plant seeds of doubt, and he wants to see you reject the faith that you were raised on. Maybe you're a junior or a senior and you've started to have doubts and you're in a philosophy course right now and the the person sitting next to you has deconstructed from his or her faith and they're pleading with you to do the same thing. Picking up your cross daily may mean for you standing firm in what you believe no matter what it costs you. No matter how much the culture will scream, put it down, put it away. It's archaic, it doesn't make sense, it's the faith of your parents, Follow your truth. Friends, it is our job to embrace the suffering that comes with knowing Christ. Can I also say that casual Christianity won't ruffle a lot of feathers, right? For the vast majority of the people that live in this country, sticking to the status quo, going to church on Sunday, being a Christian, it'll get the job done. You'll be able to keep your job. You can have friendly conversations at the local, you know, Winn-Dixie, wherever you live. But if you are tenaciously on fire for the gospel, if you are sharing the gospel with those who reject it, if you're going into family settings and you know my parents are one breath away from eternal damnation and you take it upon yourself to lovingly share the gospel with them, you will earn at minimum a dose of ridicule. Christians, don't be afraid to call sin, sin. Don't be afraid to share the gospel. Don't be afraid to live on fire for Christ. Rejecting the cultural Christianity and the mundane pursuit of Jesus will unsurprisingly produce some sort of persecution in your life. I think it is impossible to live radically Christian lives and for it to be a walk in the park. And so I want to ask those of you who claim the name of Christ, who don't experience persecution on any level, what's wrong? What, what is your life like that would excuse you from experiencing even a, an ounce of persecution? Philippians 1.29 says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe, but also suffer for his sake. It has been granted that you should suffer for his sake. Or 1 Peter 4.13, rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Jesus himself says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. So if you're a Christian in here tonight and your life is easy and you've never experienced persecution, what is not adding up? Because the promise of scripture is that those who live devoted lives for Christ 
will experience persecution. I guess what I'm saying is radical discipleship yields suffering. And that's okay. In fact, that's a promise from God. Rather than reject it or escape it, try to live less radically so that you don't have to feel it, friends, embrace it tonight. Uh, Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, embraced the cross, despising the shame. So do we feel the weight of carrying the cross of Christ? What do we have so far? We have, number one, we we have to deny ourselves. Number two, we have to take up our cross. The third lesson and final lesson from Discipleship 1001 is that we must follow him. Follow him. Any of us who have ever been in a position of leadership know the weight and responsibility that comes with telling people to follow us. Because if we take one wrong step, if we stumble along the way, if we do something that they shouldn't do, it's very dangerous to tell other people to follow us. Jesus, as the only sinless, selfless leader who knew that he wouldn't stumble, he knew that his ways were perfect, he confidently declares to us as his children, follow me, do what I do. Friends, this is the crux of the Christian walk. Someone comes up to you and says, what does it look like to be a Christian? Simply say, look to Jesus and follow him. Now, like the cross portion, where it's not easy for us to apply it to our lives because we don't feel persecution, I think it's easy to write this command off because it seems unattainable, right? Like like it's one thing if Dylan Danello shows a seven-year-old how to do 10 jumping jacks and then says, do as I do, but it's entirely different if Carson Beck picks up a football and throws it 63 yards and says, do as I do. We would be left shaking our head and saying, I can't do that. So it is with Christ, right? Sometimes we hear this instruction from Jesus and it's like, follow you? What do you, what do you mean follow you? Silent, as a lamb he stood, beaten, mocked, and scorned, bowing to the Father's will, he took a crown of thorns? I can't do that. <laughs> like I'm barely scraping by as it is and you want me to follow you? I can't love perfectly. I can't obey flawlessly. What do you mean, follow you? Friends, in the original language, this phrase, follow me, actually indicates this this idea or this image of walking side by side, right? This is Jesus saying, come with me. Follow me and I will help you. What's reassuring about Jesus' command to follow him is God's words from Hebrews chapter 13 that say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The command to follow him, while it won't be perfectly attained, comes with the reassurance that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can actually follow Jesus. We can. We, we know that salvation comes by grace alone through faith alone, but sometimes we fail to remember that this daily walk of following Jesus is the same way. It is by grace alone through faith alone. It is. This walk is enabled by grace. We are accompanied by Christ. We are equipped by the Spirit. The Christian walk is informed by the Word. It is supported by the local church. It is endured through the hope of eternal life. And it is sustained by the promises of God. So don't think for a second that you can't follow Jesus. We can and we will because we have been transformed by the power of the gospel. And the Holy Spirit resides in us. So, Discipleship 1001, deny yourself. Take up your cross, live radically 
Christian lives and you will face persecution. And just know that's a good thing. And then number three, follow him, knowing that every step of the way Jesus is with us. Let's look at these last two verses. He continues, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Here we have one of those great Christian paradoxes. This seemingly self-contradictory statement, which is in fact true. You got to remember here, Jesus understands that the desires of our flesh are in direct opposition to the things of Christ. That's why he says, deny yourself. But he goes further in this verse, verse 25, and says, whoever would save his life, uh, meaning keep it and and preserve his own desires and save his own self-interest, to bank our life on what the world has to offer, whoever would do that and pursue that and secure that, they will ultimately lose their life eternally. You can't have both. But he continues, whoever would lose his life for my sake will find it. Uh, Meaning, whoever rejects this idea that living on this earth is our ultimate joy and our ultimate purpose will find life in Jesus to be true and lasting and eternal. Jesus says to you and me, would you rather have all that this world has to offer and give up everything in life? Would you rather have all that this world has to offer and give up true life? Or would you rather say, I count it as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ? That's the question. He continues in verse 26, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Friends, listen, we we say things like, give me good health and give me lots of money, and I mean lots of money, and give me a good job and give me some sort of status in life. Give me a title that people will respect. Let people look up to me. We, we say things like, God, give me the perfect spouse, like the one that you have, have envisioned for me to have from before the foundation of the earth. Give me that family. Give me everything my heart desires. Give me the dream that the world says, this will satisfy you. And we're not even talking about the sinful stuff, like the things we know are wrong. We're talking about good things. We're talking about like gifts from the Lord but gifts from the Lord that the culture distorts and then feeds it to us and says, this is all you need to survive. We say things like, give us the car, give us the success, give us the grades, give us the peace in relationships. I don't know if, if, I, could, if I could get inside your head and, and say, uh, try to grasp this one idea. This is exactly what it would be. If you have everything and you don't have Jesus, then what do you have? What have you gained? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? God, I I fear that we are so short-sighted. I fear that we are so consumed with tasting everything that this world has to offer. And I pray that God would have mercy on us and that he would stamp eternity on our foreheads. Look, guys, can you, can you envision that day when you die and you stand before God and everything that you have put your stock in on earth is gone 
oh man, like, like the house and the car and the degree, everything that you have put your trust in and your affection in and your hope in and your energy in, it is gone and you stand before the maker of the universe and you try to look back and you say, where, where is all that stuff? Where is all that, that, those things that I pursued for a hundred years? Where is it? And why did it not give me what I thought it would give me? What does it profit you if you go out and get everything the world has to offer, yet you forfeit your soul? This life will be gone in the blink of an eye and eternity has no end. And I am so fearful that we will get to that final day and say, God, I missed it. <laughs> I, I bought the lie that said, if you just get all these things and you accomplish all these things, you will have everything. And I, and I invested in the world and here I am and I've got nothing to show for it. The world doesn't get this, right? They, you're, look, if you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, you've never placed your faith and trust in him, can I just say how glad we are that you're here? Like, thank you for taking time out of your week to come to a Baptist gathering on a Monday night. But this doesn't make any sense to you because you can hear me say, if, if all that we had was everything that the world has to offer and say, what do you mean if all you had was everything the world has to offer? What is there to have? I would just gently and lovingly appeal to you. What, is, what else is there to have? His name is Jesus. And following him is worth it. Christian, listen, particularly suffering Christian. Oh, I know you're in here tonight. I know you're in here tonight. And this world has been terrible to you. You, you are like the, you are on the brink of, of things you never thought possible. You are lonely beyond belief. You could experience the depths of depression and heartbreak. You could, you could get chewed up by this world and spit out and go your entire life without attaining any of your dreams. But if you have Jesus, then you have everything. God will welcome you into his eternal home where there will be nothing but joy and pleasure. So don't buy the lie that if you get full on earth, you'll be full forever. Don't forfeit your soul to gain just a few moments of fleeting pleasure. It's going to be hard. I, I know that. I know that it's going to be hard. But it's going to be worth it. Really worth it. So, so as, I, as I close, I just want to tell you there are three types of people in this room that I want to address. There is the smallest group of people in this, wor- in this room. Uh, you, you are the ones that know you're not Christians. And uh, for what it's worth, I got a lot of respect for that. I, I think it takes a lot of, of courage to admit that you are an enemy of God. And I would just say that, that you are in a good place if you're not a believer and you acknowledge that you're not a believer. But let me hear this. Let, let, me, let me tell you this. If, if you walk away from this message thinking, I just need to experience a little more suffering. I need to make life a little harder. Uh, I need to do a little more for God. Then I will be in his good graces. You've misheard me, right? There, there's no amount of, of suffering or there's no amount of denial that will gain you eternal life with God. But you also need to hear this. 
Do not believe the lie that following Jesus is going to be easy, right? Like I think we in church like to do that. We like to just say, hey, you want to get out of jail free card? Come on, eternal life with Jesus, let's go. Do I have to give up anything? No, 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 no. We'll take care of that later. Come on, just follow Jesus. Just be a disciple. Just come on in, say these words, walk this aisle, get in the water. No, it's hard, but it's worth it. And it's satisfying and it's joy inducing and it's life giving. And you will never make a better decision in your life. So for group number one today, run to Jesus. Cast yourself at the mercy seat of the cross where Jesus died in place of sinners. Believe in him, trust in him. Look to the cross where Jesus died for you and then to the tomb where he was buried and then to the empty tomb where he rose again. He today lives to be your savior. Believe in him. To the second group of people I wanna address, that's those of you who are unsaved, but maybe you, you think you're saved. Maybe you, uh, maybe I should rephrase that. You're unsaved. You've never followed Jesus. You've never made a decision to be a Christ follower. But you would say, I'm good. You're probably in the most dangerous place tonight, right? You perhaps have bought the lie which says, I need to gain the whole world and everything it has to offer. Can I just lovingly say that, that the world will never deliver on life-giving satisfaction? Never. And I think it would be far wiser if you've been feeling these doubts or if you think, like, I know that I've never committed my life to Christ, to tonight, don't let, don't let uh, your head hit the pillow without surrendering to Jesus. Run after him, deny self, take up the cross and follow him. It is my prayer that you might get a supernatural glimpse of the day of your death. I know that sounds morbid, and it is. But I hope that you might see tonight the value in forfeiting what the world has to offer and in so forfeiting what the world has to offer, gaining everything that's offered in Christ. The third category is those of us who by grace have been saved through faith in Christ. May we never stop counting the cost of following Jesus. I know our hearts. They are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But may we be reminded today that the daily pursuit of Christ is so worth it. It is so worth it. I have bad news for a lot of us. This life may not be easy. In fact, if we live for Christ, we are promised suffering will come. But with Jesus as our anchor, with him holding us fast, we will one day hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you would like to know more about us, visit our Instagram at UGABCM or visit us on our website at UGABCM.org. We hope you enjoyed and we'll see you next time.